First of all, Monica's going to read 1 Peter 5, so we've got the context. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Great. Good. Can everyone see me that wants to? <laughs> yeah, I was really nervous about this because I thought, oh, how can I talk about eldership? I've done this for years. I'm not sure I've done it that well. But it just seems ridiculous. Um, but then God did seem to speak to me, and uh, as he does. And it, it kind of, I thought, okay. So I have three problems. I'll just be honest at the beginning. First of all is the passage itself. How does one actually deal with this stuff? Um, secondly, the preparation. I just, uh, I feel God speaks to me and then I can't articulate it. And then all this churning goes on inside and you, you kind of cry and you, you grapple and you think, how do you make sense of this? What's God really saying? And then there's the preaching bit. So it's the three Ps. Um, passage, preparation and preaching. How do you deliver? It's daunting where it says, speak as the oracles of God. And I just, I have to say, I do not feel adequate for that. I never do, but again, I don't. Um, for me, preaching is a weird thing. It's something I hate, and it's something I love to do. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. So my prayer is that whatever faltering stuff I say, um, somehow God will speak. Because that seems to me to be the way he works. Um, I've been fascinated what's going on in Qumran. I haven't been there yet. But some have from here, and some are going to go. Something's happening. 500 people saved in a couple of months. Thank you, God. And on the back of that, there's other things happening as well. People are getting healed and stuff. But what they want to see is people saved. It's a poor district, and people are getting free of addictions and getting their lives put right, marriages put right. I just think, God, that's what I want here, <laughs> isn't it? I don't want to go through the motions of church. We want people to be saved. So, that's where I'm coming from. God help us. 
<laughs> God help you, you've got to listen. Um, so actually, I want to reflect on, I want the passage read first, because I want to reflect going back a bit, and that is on the call of Peter, because I'm fascinated by the fact that this letter has been written by someone who didn't get it all right, um, was quite a sort of unusual, frosty, in-your-face character, and yet this book is full of grace and full of encouragement and shepherd. He talks about being a shepherd and stuff. You think, Peter, a shepherd? He wasn't a shepherd. He was a pretty brutal fisherman, as far as I can see. So what happened? What went on? I was also very intrigued by... uh, I used to read the King James most of the time, and it says, not for filthy lucre. Don't be an elder for filthy lucre. And I just thought, what on earth is that about? Who on earth would go into leadership for money, for goodness sake? Um, (laughs) I don't get it. And I thought, but it's there. Why? Why is it there? And that's just a little seed thought, which maybe will come through. So some questions for you to bear in mind as I carry on. When was Peter converted? When did he respond to the call of God on his life? And what can we learn from this? And I'm going to start by reading from Luke 5. And I also have to say I'm very indebted to a writer called Kenneth Bailey, who used to live in the Middle East. He lived there for 60 years. He was a New Testament scholar. And he's written quite a few books, and I've lifted quite a, stuff, a lot of stuff out of one of the books he wrote, and that's what inspired me to think, I've got to face this passage. So I'm going to read, anyway, to start with, from Luke 5, verses 1 to 11. You know the story. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding round him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats the one belonging to Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full, they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John and sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Do you think this was Peter's conversion, his respond to the call? Well, set the scene. Jesus, wandering rabbi. Peter, a fishing businessman. The people were crowding around, listening to the word of God. And there were these two boats. This does not take place in the synagogue. This isn't listening to an expository preach. This is on a smelly landing with tired fishermen cleaning their nets after a long and fruitless night. Jesus entered into the world of this businessman and this messy business. He didn't expect them to step out of their world to come to his. He went to theirs. 
And without so much as a by your leave, Jesus gets into Peter's boat and then requests his help. Now, actually, uh, Peter owed Jesus a favor, believe it or not, because Jesus had just healed his mother-in-law and, uh, in the chapter before. And if someone does you a favor, certainly in the Middle East, you owe one back. So Peter felt, I have got no choice. <laughs> He's healed my mother-in-law. I will get in the boat and do this for him. So Jesus gets in this boat. Now, if you're actually in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, it doesn't stay still. It drifts around. So Jesus starts preaching, and Peter has to work quite hard keeping the boat still. It's drifting around. So he's using his skills to keep the boat still. And what Jesus is actually doing is fishing from this boat, but catching fish so they get new life whereas Peter catches fish to kill them. But Peter was in his professional world. He was doing his job, and he was doing it well. He was keeping the boat still, and so Jesus could preach from this pulpit. And Jesus, like all rabbis, was sitting in this boat, because a rabbi used to sit. That showed his authority. And that's where you'd think the story would end. They'd finish the sermon... And then he'd say, thanks, Peter, that was really useful, um, and go on his way. But, of course, that's not what happens. Because, amazingly, Jesus, the inland carpenter, gives orders to this professional fisherman of how and where to catch fish. Now, that probably caused a great deal of tension. <laughs> it was preposterous, actually. Peter was exhausted. He'd fished all night. And there are some interesting facts about fishing, apparently, on the Lake of Galilee, so I'm told by Kenneth Bailey. They work at night for a good reason. In the day, the fish hide under the rocks. In the night, they feed. And they feed on the edge of the lake, where the fresh oxygenated water enters into the lake. So they congregate around the streams and things as they come in the lake and at night. A little way from the shore, you get the steep drop down to the deep part, and that's a different type of fishing. So the very idea that this wandering rabbi from Nazareth, who's never fished in his life, should come and tell a seasoned fishing businessman what to do is absolutely preposterous. The fish will avoid the nets in the day. They can see them. To launch into the deep is just stupid in broad daylight. So Peter, he would have been aware of the law. He would have known the scriptures. And he wouldn't have said he was an expert. But in his professional world, he knew a great deal about fishing. (laughs) So you have this conversation, and it says in the scripture, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Um, It's quite kind of black and white, isn't it? Um, it's suggested, again, I'm lifting this from Bailey, that it probably wasn't quite like that. The word for master means kind of teacher or boss. And it probably sounded something like this. Okay, boss, I'm a professional, and so are my partners. That's why we were out all last night trying to catch fish. Okay, we weren't successful. But now we're dog-tired, 
I've been rowing this boat for you for the last few hours to keep it still because I owed you a favour. And now you're asking me to do something which is plain stupid in terms of being a businessman. But, tell you what, I'll do it because then we'll see who's right. And then, of course, we get to the climax of the story, this massive catch of fish. It was so good that Scripture records that Peter beckons to his partners to come, and an interesting little point there, he doesn't shout, hey, come and see this. He's a businessman. Word travels across the water, he'd lose his catch to goodness knows how many other little groups of fishermen. Come over here. <laughs> he beckons and they come. But was it the miracle that shocked Peter? Miracles happen all the time, don't they? They happen here. They're happening in Cumbran. What was it that grabbed Peter? I think it was the fact that here he is faced with a man, the man, who made a real choice between God and success. Between God and wealth. Thank you for sharing earlier, by the way, about God's provision for you. All night, every night, Peter went shipping. Fishing, sorry. That was his trade. He knew how to do it. He was a businessman. He was a fisherman. In the hope that one day he would get that great catch. Along comes this wandering rabbi from Nazareth, who apparently has no knowledge of fishing, and says, put your net there. And they get so much fish, their boats nearly sink. So why doesn't Jesus give up being a wandering rabbi, getting paid nothing, and teaching people, and caring for people, and get into business? (laughs) What a striking thing that must have been for Peter. Evidently, Jesus saw that God and care for people was more important than a highly successful business. So he found himself, Peter found himself, face to face with this person who challenged his priorities at the deepest level. And when he saw it, he fell down at his knees, saying, Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. That was a personal response. The crowd were on the shore, but Jesus heard it. And instead of calling him master like he did before, okay, boss, this was Lord. Something shifted deep in him. He was so challenged. It's also the first time that sinner grumps up in Luke's gospel. Jesus came to save sinners. (laughs) And Jesus says to Simon Peter, don't be afraid, from now on you'll catch men. And the word catch there, or sometimes NIVs, some version says fish for people. It's the word catch, but it means to catch alive, (laughs) not to catch dead. So Jesus is saying to Peter, come, use your fishing skills in a different way. 
Come and take people alive for the kingdom. And so they brought their, their boats to land and so forth, and we know that Peter gave up fishing from that point to follow this amazing person. And of course, he was converted, wasn't he? He changed his ways and became the big fisherman. And he moved into a new venture of faith. Hallelujah. Wonderful. What happens next? Well, if we read on, if we're going to Luke 22, which I won't turn to now, I'll just read it out to you. Jesus says this to him. So he's been wandering with Jesus for a while, getting to learn his ways. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've been converted or turned back, strengthen your brethren. And soon after this, Peter denies Jesus, and his world implodes. He was converted again in the wrong direction, (laughs) I would say. Something went wrong, didn't it? So he had this amazing experience, and then, oh, I've denied Jesus. I still love him, but I've messed up. That call has gone. (laughs) What have I done with it all? Is it still true? And then we read John, chapter 21, a third experience of Peter. And I'm reading from John 21, 1 to 11. I just want you to listen to the story and put yourself in Peter's shoes. And then I'm just going to be quiet and let you think about it. Remember this great call on the lake where Peter met this amazing person that turned his world upside down. And then it all seemed to go wrong. And then, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened like this. Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. So he called out to them, Friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment round him and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they weren't far from the shore. And when they landed, they saw the burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But with so many, the net was not torn. How do you think that impacted Peter?
Okay. So when they finished eating this little meal on the seashore, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. When you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And so on. And then he said to him, follow me. And verse 20 starts, Peter turned. <laughs> it's the word converted again. Isn't that nice? <laughs> what a lovely touch from scripture. He was converted again. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. So when was Peter converted? When did he respond to the call of God on his life? And what can we learn from this? Most of us here, I reckon, at some point, have an encounter with God that turned our world upside down. I won't ask you to put your hands up, but you can be honest about that, can't you? Something happened, and you met God, and your world was turned upside down. And one of the questions I want to ask today is, is it still current? Are we still there? Are we still fishers of men? Because this story tells us that it doesn't matter what happens in between, it can be fresh today. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter how much it may have gone wrong. The call is true. That encounter where you said anything for you, God, I mean it, everything for you, God, is it still true? Or have we, and I'm speaking to myself here, which is why I don't find these scriptures easy, actually adopted the worldview that's all around us, mediated to us every minute of the day, through news, through media, through telly, through conversations, through work colleagues, where... Basically, do well for yourself, work hard, get enough money to enjoy a relaxing retirement. Where the gods of this world actually are determining who we are, rather than Jesus Christ. It's a big challenge, isn't it? And what did Peter learn from the way Jesus worked there's some interesting, uh, Ruth was trying to find something to go on the front of the leaflet, which you, you can see, I think, fishing, catching fish or something. And one of the ones she sent me, she thought, was quite amusing. It's, we're meant to be fishers of men, not keepers of an aquarium. I thought that was rather good. Um, but there's other ones where there's lots of cartoons saying, ooh, fishers of men, what's the bait? <laughs> I think that's an interesting question. 
And I wonder what Peter learned from his call, the way Jesus was with him. Jesus entered into the workplace world, asked help from the businessman to do what he could do well. And then, by his attitude and values, turned it all on its head. (laughs) That's great, isn't it? I find that quite, um, yeah, provocative. So that people we work with and people we we live with and our families see that we're not actually of this world. (laughs) We are, going back to Peter's epistle, aliens and pilgrims. And I wonder what it is we've learnt from the last five chapters of 1 Peter when we've gone through this series. Have we noticed that the word suffering comes up 15 times? (laughs) Every chapter, it talks about suffering. It talks about... Well, let's read from uh, chapter 1. This is where we started when uh, I think Dave preached the first one. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That kind of sums up the book, doesn't it? Peter, through that encounter with Jesus, on more than one occasion, realized that life does not constitute of what we do in this world. It's not about what we earn. It's not about getting the best for ourselves. It's not about living for me. It's about living for God. And God's got a call on me and you, I believe, and this church corporately to be fishers of men. Surely that's what we're meant to be about. Surely that's why we're here. Or we make Christianity some selfish, introverted, and I think disgusting to God thing. (laughs) Can I say that? The whole problem with Israel, well not the whole problem, one of the problems with Israel is that they took their religion and made it their own. And expected God to bless them when they were meant to be blessing the world. And I find that provocative. And I'm asking that of myself I'm not asking, I'm not trying to put something on you. I'm saying, God, am I really like that? Have I got the call? (laughs) Am I really thinking like this? Why are we here? (laughs) Just so we get blessed? That's a very worldly view, isn't it? Or is it so that we're empowered to help people into relationship with God himself? who has spent everything for us, went to the cross. It cost him his life because he loved us. Not us, me, Cairns Road. Us, the world. (laughs) Hmm. I don't really know where to take it from there. 
but it's a kind of plea in my own heart, really, a prayer. God, please, change me, change us, so that we go about his business. I get thrilled when I hear what's going on in Cumbran. I don't know. You know, not everyone will like it. I'm sure it's not perfect. But 500 people saved. (laughs) People turning from the things that have plagued them for years. Because the families have been brought up in. From the environment they've been in. From the fact they've got no jobs. And they're meeting Jesus Christ. And it's turning them around. I think, God, give us that. Give us that. Make us a church where people get changed. Not to become like us, but to become fishers. I was talking to, uh, oh, Deb's dad, Andy, actually, the other day. He went to a, hear a guy in Swindon who's a missionary in India. And over the last few years, he's planted 10,000 churches. And this year, he's going to plant another 10,000 churches. And he said, how do you do it? He said, I just affirm people in their call, encourage them to get on with what God's given them. That's it. So they just meet in little groups, and they meet to look at the Word of God, pray together, have fellowship with others, be honest with each other, but with the intention of reaching out to their colleagues and work friends. That's what they do. They don't meet in geographical groups necessarily. Some of them meet because they're all in the same job. And they just meet together. And within a year, they're planting out and planting out and planting out and planting out. I find that so inspiring. (laughs) Could God do something like that here, do you reckon? I hear, please. (laughs) Yeah. So... What's God saying to you? I can't tell you. (laughs) But please, God, may we not be consumerist in our faith. But do something in me, Lord, that's a prayer. Do something in me that makes me see why you died. It wasn't just for me. It was for the person I work with. It's for my neighbor. It's for my children. For my dad. It's for whoever. That's why Jesus died. And may God so put in us his heart that can change the world. I gather in Qumran. They're not looking for healing. It's following. They want people saved, and they've been praying that for years. (laughs) Hallelujah. So just in view of, I'm going to finish now, but in view of the story of Peter that I've told, I hope in a different light, I'll just read verses 6 to 11 of 1 Peter 5 again. So just you can kind of reflect, see where Peter's coming from, what's happened to him. He says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, just like I had to, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I guess Peter had a lot of anxiety. (laughs) And he cast it on God. Be alert, a sober mind, 
Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Jesus warned Peter of that, didn't he? Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen.